Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And today we're continuing to talk about The Kane Chronicles, Book One, The Red Pyramid. Ooh. I have yet to see a pyramid. I feel conned. You know, I. That's true. We haven't seen a pyramid yet. Which I. I that is kind of weird, actually. We're like, what, halfway through this book? No, no, we're Wait. not. Oh, no, no, because the chapters are much shorter than they are in Percy Jackson, aren't they? Yeah. No, we're, uh, we're like, a fourth of the way through this book, maybe? Oh, uh, okay. A bit above that, but, you know. Yeah, these, these are chonkier boys in the PGO books. PGO. Yeah, yeah. PGO, pro-golf Olympians. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. <laughs> Um, but today we're, we're recording a podcast for the benefit of all of you and also ourselves so we can talk about how we're feeling about these books. Yeah. This week I did the summaries. You did the summaries. So I'm going to just get right into those. Hell yeah. Chapter nine. Carter. We run from four guys in skirts. After the battle with the Superparts is over, Bass tells the kids they have to leave because another magician sabotaged Amos's house defenses. They make a run for it through an industrial yard, where Bass talks a stray tomcat into putting all of the cats in New York on alert. After a brief and whimsical encounter with the wrecking ball, they continue as the mansion explodes behind them, with Bass stealing a Lexus for them to use. As they tear through Brooklyn, coppery beings from the duot called Carriers holding a coffin built for two, begin chasing them at a natural speed. Carter asks why Bass doesn't really just, just destroy them with her godly powers, but she explains that she's limited by the power of her host, in this case, the cat Muffin. She also reveals that she made a deal with their dad to remain in the world as a cat so she could protect and watch over the kids, which the kids believe she agreed to because she was released when their mom died at Cleopatra's Needle. She won't reveal any more, but she does tell them the rest of the plan, to get far away from New York and challenge set, with some help from even more summoned gods. Chapter 10. Carter. Bast goes green. Bast manages to temporarily evade the carriers using a horde of cats, and the group makes their way to the obelisk in Central Park, identical to one in London. After a bit of conversation about how the clothes they're wearing are special made from doing magic and about the nature of the gods in relation to chaos and order, Bast warns that the carriers and something even more dangerous are approaching. Sadie gets to work on trying to open a portal, while Bast projects a holographic astral form around herself to battle, and Carter uses a sword he took from Amos's to keep the destroyed carriers from reforming. Unfortunately, things get more dangerous when thousands of scorpions pour in around them, and out of the woods comes Circuit, the goddess of scorpions. Bast tells the kids to run to the museum and find the temple inside for protection, and even though they know she's in danger, they run for it. Chapter 11. Sadie. We meet the human flamethrower. Inside the museum, Sadie's pretty devastated by everything that's happened so far, especially her cat staying in a hopeless battle just to save them. They get to the Egyptian section, and while trying to find the temple Bass told them to get to, they get into an argument and accidentally shatter a glass case with the magic of their emotions. Alarms begin to go off, and as patrons begin to exit the museum and scorpions begin to enter, they go deeper, eventually bumping into a girl about the same age as Carter, who Sadie quickly realizes is the girl with a knife from the British Museum. 
Carter jumps in front of Sadie to protect her. But the girl uses a wand to knock away Carter's sword and make them tell her where Amos is and what happened to Bast. She introduces herself as Zia Rashid and takes them through the exhibits away from the impending scorpion doom and towards the temple, setting up magic guards for them along the way. When they get to the Temple of Dendor, apparently dedicated to Isis, Zia uses her wand to write the hieroglyphic for open into the temple. It'll open a portal at high noon, and until then, they must make their stand. She has them set up a protective circle, but when the scorpions arrive, Zia lights her staff in flame and prepares to fight a god. Chapter 12, Sadie, A Jump Through the Hourglass While the portal forms into a swirling, sandy vortex, Zia impressively fights Circuit using the many techniques she's learned as a scribe of the first gnome. Sadie is compelled to try and step outside the circle and help, but Carter stops her just in time. Eventually, Zia manages to wrap around Circuit the Seven Rooms of Hathor, which expels Circuit's essence from the human woman she was using as a host. However, to Zia's surprise, the essence begins to reform into a giant scorpion, and so the three children jump into the portal. So, what'd you think of those chapters, Jane? I thought this was an interesting set of chapters for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. The first one I want to talk about this up front is I I was really struggling to put my finger on what it was about the um, like the carriers in the first chapter. Like, what was it about that image that was so funny to me? Uh huh. So I want you to like I want you to picture them in your head because I figured out what it was. Okay, I'm picturing them. I'm picturing picture them, four I want four funny men in skirts. Hold that image in your head. Okay, I'm opening what you're sending me. This is this isn't what I imagined. <laughs> but you sent me a famous meme. It's just a fucking coffin dance. I don't think it. I imagining these guys running at like ten times sped up like speed is actually pretty funny. No, yeah, no. The the idea that they're also like jogging but weaving through high speed traffic is also like very absurd and very funny. I was really worried going into this because the chapter was titled, like, We Run From Guys in Skirts or whatever. Yeah, I, I was worried we were going to get a repeat of the Grover thing in Sea of Monsters. Yeah, it wasn't bad, though. There, It was like, I don't know, these chapter titles are... I mean, chapter titles in Percy Jackson have always been kind of like, okay. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the Kane Chronicles ones so far are also just like, okay, fine. These are certainly there to make sure that a kid who's reading it uh, will will keep reading. What did you think of these? Um, okay, so honestly, I read the first chapter of this bunch and had a really negative reaction. Ooh, okay. I think I was just, like, really bummed with, like... I don't know. There, It felt so joyless. Mm-hmm. But... As, like as the chapters went on, I I, I I softened on it a little bit. I was like, you know, it's not that bad. I it it's just it, something about it really wasn't hitting for me, but it's starting to get better. I think like one one of the problems with that chapter in particular is how it like fucks with the pacing. Uh-huh. Because like we talked a lot about how the first few chapters felt very like rushed and harassed. Yeah. yeah, that that kind of made sense for the tone, but it was still kind of jarring to read. Yeah. And these chapters have like the exact same tone at a point where it felt like the story was supposed to be settling into a like you know, here here is where the characters can rest a bit, set up a bit of a home base and get their shit together basically. Uh-huh. We're kind of being plunged straight back into another chase thing 
without any of that time to breathe. Yeah, the the most like concurrent settings we've had across like multiple chapters has been like we spent two chapters at like the Brooklyn house Mm -hmm. and two chapters inside the museum. Yeah, exactly. It just, it's, it's so like, we're just moving, moving, moving. And I'm, I worry that this is going to be the pace of the whole book. I I really hope not. I, I, I think we do just need a couple of chapters to sit and let things breathe. Yeah. Another, I, I don't want to like come off negative from the start, but you know, I, I guess I want to get it off out of the way. Yeah. Um, the another problem I had with the first chapter here was that it felt very like, it felt like I was being talked down to as a reader, or like the hypothetical child reading this book was being talked down to by Rick Riordan. Uh huh. Like there are just like a lot of jokes made like about like around Bast that I think are like could be really funny jokes or like clever little things that like a kid could pick up on but they're just like very like explained yeah no i can see that yeah there's a line that's like bass just like fucking steals a car which is funny then they're like that's not yours and she's like i'm a cat everything i see is mine i just i feel like like the i'm a cat part is just so unnecessary i think that that also plays into probably the worst joke which is like the wrecking ball thing. Yeah. Because that, that not only feels has the same thing where it feels like over-explained, it also like immediately kills the tension of like the chase scene that we're having to do now. Right. Like if it was just a case of like, they're running and Bass can't stop herself from taking a swipe at it, I feel like that might have, that might have scanned a bit better. But, like, stopping the pace dead so that she can just destroy a wrecking ball feels a bit weird. Right, like, it. it's not, like, a paragraph. It's, like, a page mm-hmm. uh, of them, like, stopping in, a like, a construction yard. Her being, like, wait, there's something dangerous going on. It's, like, you can hear the fucking, like, bulk and skull from Power Rangers music going on in the background. <laughs> I don't know. The humor isn't all bad, um... And there's a lot of stuff I like from these chapters, though, especially I, as they went on. I especially like the part where Carter begs Bass to stop shouting exposition at him. Uh-huh. Because, like, yeah, me too, buddy. God, yeah. <laughs> no, it, and some of it, I don't know, it just feels like some of it is so unnecessary. <laughs> like, this isn't how or when or where or what we need to be being told. Uh, I think this kind of plays into something else I picked up within these chapters, which is... I. I feel like the writing is kind of almost insecure. Interesting. What what do you mean by this? By that I mean like playing into the jokes thing there are like concepts and things that I feel are over explained because Rick like feels almost defensive like he's anticipating people immediately going after him for any like logical um, fallacies or like little little nitpicks they can make. Mm. The stuff like um Bast explains that, like, oh, you, you're you wearing the uh, Egyptian peasant garb, which is made out of cotton, because animal parts are bad for doing magic. Uh-huh. Which makes sense, but then we get another paragraph after that about how Sadie's leather boots are probably fine. Yeah, that's... It It, it just, like, jars. Yeah, or, or, like, when they go into the museum, and there is, like, a specific line about, oh, I saw a banner up there explaining that there was a holiday event going on right now which explained why the museum was open on Christmas. 
Which, like, I don't think anybody would have really questioned that. That doesn't, you don't really need to do that. And the weird thing is that, like, Rick Riordan has done these kinds of things before in a very, for a very different purpose. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I was, I guess I'm still kind of Percy Jackson brained. When I read, like, oh, there's a sign up there that says there's a special holiday event. And so it's going to still be open even on Christmas. I was like, oh, so this is like a trap. There is like someone waiting inside uh-huh. with like, like so there's going to be some kind of pun or like, like, like some monster or like some being or some deity is in there and has set it up. Yeah. Something that's like related to Christmas in some way, like mythologically has like set up shop in here and is waiting for them right because that's just like that's just like the rhythm of these books usually and i guess this is a different series and that's fine but like it feels like using that same kind of rhythm and then like breaking away like no this is actually happening yeah it, it definitely feels weird this could be like growing pains i guess or like i don't know i feel like a lot of this so far is growing pains because like i know i know that Percy Jackson wasn't, like, the first series that Rick wrote, but I think it was, like, his first kid series. Yeah. So this is, like, his second crack at that, and he's... seems to be struggling a bit. No, definitely. Like, I... again, reiterate, I kind of... I'm, I'm starting to dig it. Uh-huh. It's having a lot of problems. Yeah, it's, this is not, like, a write-off yet by any stretch of the imagination. I can super envision, like, being in love with this series by, like, book three. Yeah, for sure. Especially because I want to talk about... I I feel like... I know we were talking about, like, oh, the way the gods are portrayed is kind of weird, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think the, like, fucking anime-ass fight sequences, they're really pretty cool. Those are very cool. This fucking Bast goes into the Avatar state. God, no, yeah. it, It, um... It was in my mind as like halfway between like Avatar State and like um, in Young Justice. There's a character I don't remember his name, but he's inspired by um, the character Apache Chief from uh, Super Friends. But his uh-huh. thing is that he just like gets a big astral form of himself, that, like that like he uses to like beat people up, basically. Hell yeah! Uh, and it, it's very like it's very fun. Like I'm into that. I'm also really into like the magicians who fight gods and like that yeah that, that like what what is the exact ending line for that chapter it's like the end of chapter 11 and zia says something like i'm a magician of the house of life i am trained to fight gods and it's the coolest fucking thing ever no it rules the the fight between zia and circuit is awesome yeah definitely and it's, they're it's, very uh-huh. Slightly undermined by the fact that we just had this exact fight between Bast and Circuit. Right, but it's it's also <laughs> like different enough. Uh, I think because like like I I yeah like ba- we just had a Circuit fight, but like I think this is the moment where like this is actually like a fight that's at the forefront. Like, mm-hmm. um, because last time it was like kind of a background thing. Like the fight was about to start and they ran away. Yeah. Um. Here we've got, like, the actual, like, fight. They're, like, about to fucking, like, join in. Or Sadie is, at least, for some reason. 
and I don't know. I really enjoy just the whole. Ch- the originally I was gonna be kind of flippant about it, and I was like, I'm writing these chat these summaries. It, this was like the shortest summary I've ever done already, but I was like, I could probably just summarize this as like Zia fights circuit, and yeah. then they leave. <laughs> but honestly, I don't hate that there was like just the fight in it, basically. Yeah, no, it's it's a decent fight. It's just I I have a personal conspiracy theory that Rick was trying to figure out whether he wanted Bast or Zia to be the one who collected them from the mansion. Mm. And eventually he couldn't decide. So they both did very suspiciously similar, like, I'll hold off circuit while the portal opens fight scenes. They were also both waiting for portals to open, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I... Yeah, I, I totally get you. Oh, the other part, though, that I think is really cool is... um. Just, like, the host thing has really kind of grown on me. Yeah, definitely. Because it's another, like, very, like, oh, cool fantasy fight series. Like, the this is, like, appealing to the Gaia Online kid in me. Is that, was that the thing that was, like, GeoCities or something? No, it was, like, you had these little fucking avatars, and there were, like, little games you could play, and, like, kind of, like forum boards oh neopets that was it you're thinking of neopets yeah um neopets also is not like geocities yeah no geocities is like that was like a website making thing yeah no uh neopets is kind of similar to gaia online for sure mm-hmm. um i i used to use gaia for uh role playing with strangers ah as you do yeah like one of my favorites was like one of my favorites was like a group of kids all of whom were like possessed by the spirits of various deities and using those powers to fight each other huh that sounds cool yeah yeah and i don't know like there's something about the concept just really appeals to me of like the host stuff rather not not the role play that i just described (laughs) Or oh, like the um banishing the essence from the host, actually, like the seven herbs and ribbons of Hathor thing. Yeah, that's that's definitely a fun. That's a good way to have like fail states and fights that don't involve dying. Yeah, because I think that was something that Percy Jackson struggled with a little bit. Uh huh. Like, especially in some of the confrontations between Luke and Percy, because like neither of them can bite it. But now we have a thing where it's like, okay, well, the god can get knocked on their ass and pushed out of the body, and that's a defeat for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like wrestling. <laughs> you don't kill your opponent wrestling, usually. Unless something horrible happens in the staging. God, yeah. You, you try not to kill your opponent in wrestling. Unless you're someone who is trying to kill your opponent in wrestling, in which case... You know, consider a career change. Yeah, uh, or I guess I, I can't say that. I was gonna say go for your goals, but actually, please don't. <laughs> please don't kill anyone. Please don't kill anyone unless you have to. I guess I don't know. Uh, Jane, you said you had a lot of thoughts on these chapters, so I want to hear more of those thoughts. This is a small thing, but I just thought it was kind of funny, and I wanted to bring it up. Okay. Uh. I I I, did, I I was posting in the Camp Half Blood subreddit last week. Poster. Po- Lord Farquaad pointing meme poster. Uh huh. I posted like a, a stupid fucking meme of Amos as a cat or whatever it was. 
Yeah. And someone pointed out something really interesting that only becomes like more pertinent in this chapter. Uh-huh. Because like Bast, Sadie, and Carter escape across the Williamsburg Bridge from Brooklyn into Manhattan. And right. then from there go to like Central Park. Uh-huh. However, uh shout out, I guess, to Reddit user Sonic Singularity <laughs> who pointed out that like Percy fucking obliterated the Williamsburg Bridge in Last Olympian. Yeah. Like, he fucking, he blew it up completely. Yeah. <laughs> so, the thing about, like, the timeline here is that I'm pretty sure the Kane Chronicles takes place after the first book of the Heroes of Olympus series. Right, okay. So, maybe they just repaired it. I guess so. Kind of weird it- that nobody talks about how it's, like, I don't know, like, an army pontoon bridge or something while they fix the bridge. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's gotten so used to it. I guess so. Carter doesn't notice because he's, you know, he's always in different countries. Yeah, that's true. Carter's got some shit going on in these chapters. Yeah, there's some... This, we, we ragged on these a bit, but I think there's some decent character stuff between him and Sadie in these. Like, th- I like the idea that both of them think that, like, the grass is greener for the other one. Absolutely. Like, as far as Carter is concerned, Sadie has a stable home life and friends and doesn't have to move around all the time. And as far as Sadie is concerned, she wasn't ditched by their dad. Yeah. So, like, they've both got some shit to work through. And I like that there's that room for growth there. Right, because I think, like, I think it'd be really easy. And what I really like about this is that, um, I think I talked last episode about how, like, it really seemed like there was something kind of bubbling, some resentment bubbling up under the surface of Carter's, like, you know, kind of polite facade. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of not comes doesn't come to a head, but it rears itself in a much more forward way in this chapter. Yeah, he blows up a museum display. Yeah, and like you know, there's a part where it's like, oh, you, you, my anger. You're the one who's angry, but it's like obviously Carter is the one who's angry mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, like Sadie was saying some shit, and like she was probably she was heated, but like she wasn't heated like he was. Yeah, uh, she was making like snide remarks. Yeah, and it's, I think the idea that Carter has, like, some anger problem, not anger problems, but, like, some deep, like, resentment and, like, a a bit of anger inside of him because of the way that he has lived and is, like, a really appealing character trait. Yeah, definitely. It adds a little bit of depth, for sure. It doesn't, it makes him more than just, like, you know, the meek one who knows about books. Especially because it'd be really easy to give that same thing to Sadie instead, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it'd be so easy to make it so, like, oh, Sadie, she has an anger inside of her. Because she... she's the the delinquent girl with the, the boots who's always yeah. getting in trouble. Yeah, but that's not, you know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a clever swapperoo. Yeah. I have a prediction for how the book's going to end. Okay. Okay. I think that Carter and Sadie are going to open a portal to the Duart and kick Seth through at the moment of his birth. That's fascinating. Why do you say this exactly? Okay, because Seth's saying that, like, oh, destroying America will be his birthday present to himself. So that's probably when the climax of the book is going to take place. Okay. And Zia specifically calls out that times when you can open portals are, like, Sunrise, sunset, midday, the exact moments of the births of gods. <laughs> yeah. That feels like the groundwork being laid to do that. 
Yeah, I didn't even think of that, but I think that's like something that is so in your face that it's like kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but it's also like you said, like laying some groundwork. So I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, she brushes past it very quickly. I think like Sadie even cuts her off and starts talking about something else. So it's it's like a well-hidden thing. And if I hadn't read the chapters twice, I definitely wouldn't have picked up on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm See, the problem is that I thought you said they would kick him into a portal on the moment of his birth, is what I thought you said. Oh, that they would, like, fucking time travel back and yeah. kill a baby. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, thought, I thought you were saying they would, you know, it's all cyclical or whatever. <laughs> but, no, I, I'm into that theory, to be honest. Why don't we just travel back in time, find baby Seth, and, you know... Mime strangling. The time we got time travel, we got circuits. This is just like. Wait, I had, what was it that I thought it was like? I've written that somewhere in here. You know, time traveling circuits. Wait, you know what it is like actually? Homestuck. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I didn't realize what? that was where you were going with that. What else could I have meant? Anyway, go on. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of like um, the popular tabletop fantasy game, Warhammer Age of Sigma. Okay. Because just... Why would I have been referencing that? No, I thought you'd run out of things to say. I, I thought you were, like, floundering and couldn't think of something. Okay. So I was trying to think of, like, what it could be. Tell me about the connections. Uh, but yeah, um, because like, like Warhammer Age of Sigma, what Rick's done here is he's taken, like, the concept of inherent good and inherent evil, swapped the license plates so that they say order and chaos, and not thought about it any deeper than that. Oh, it's just like uh, the Adventure Zone graduation. <laughs> Fuck, it is also exactly like that. Yeah, no, I'm, I am not into this whole order and chaos. I talked about this last week already, but, like... Did we? Yeah, we talked about, like, oh, Mott, and, like, balance, and order and chaos is the two sides of balance, or whatever, and, like... Oh, god, yeah. But it, it, it it's really easy to be, like, order is good, and chaos is bad. Uh, uh, and also just, kind of lazy. Uh, yeah, like, I wouldn't mind people doing this so much if they, like, actually examined what the ideas of order and chaos meant. Yeah. But it's literally just, it feels... I think it feels played out to just say good and evil, so I'm going to put these other words there instead that sound different but mean the same thing in my brain. Yeah, I would. I, I was going to say I would love it. Like, I, I, I would honestly be more okay with this. It was like, oh, these are the evil gods. These are the good gods. Because there's already kind of been like, I don't know. Well, okay. Let me backtrack on my statement a bit. All right. Because order and chaos, I guess, are kind of themes here. In so far as, like, like they're not just being presented here. They're also, like, there's the idea that, like, are gods inherently chaotic forces of nature? Should we impose... Should the magicians impose, like, an order upon them? Like... And I suppose... That, that is also expressed through the idea that the magicians, like, their power is drawn from, like, the products of an advanced and organized society. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, kind of. I, I don't... So, like, it could go interesting places, but like you said, right now it just feels bland 
and yeah. uh, like a boring choice. It's also like not what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Like we had in Percy Jackson, in theory, the good gods versus the Titans, but there were plenty of Titans that were like morally, like more gray, like Prometheus, or like outright good, like Calypso. And plenty of the gods were complete wankers. Yeah. So, I don't know. It feels like... you know, It feels like he's kind of writing himself into a corner here. Unless he actually wants to go out of his way to examine these, like, concepts, like, more deeply. Which I hope he does. Yeah, I mean, like, like we said many times, we're a fourth of the way through the first book in the series. Yeah. So, this is all the time to... This is the ideal time to set up shit that could be subverted or examined later. Yeah, or at the very least, this is the ideal time to introduce stuff, endure a horrific fan backlash, and walk it back in subsequent books. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think there was fan backlash to this book. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess he wouldn't have written two more if it, the backlash had been that bad. No, yeah, I mean, I maybe there was some stuff, but I, I feel like probably kids were just like, hell yeah, more myth books, you know? Yeah, probably. I don't know though. I guess I I guess I can look into that. Um I guess speaking of like speaking of kids, we meet a new kid in these chapters. We do. We meet uh Zia Rashid, is that it? That's right. Who can shoot fire out of her hands. Very She's cool. She's the human flamethrower. Yeah. You can't say the human torch or Ma- I was going to say do you think that's <laughs> Do you think that's where Rick wanted to go? He can go back and change it now. He oh can, fuck! He can do a new edition because Disney owns it now. <laughs> right, right, and Disney also owns Rick Riordan. Yeah, I shouldn't say that. That's not true. <laughs> but Rick Riordan works with Disney, and I think Disney owns Percy Jackson. I think so. Probably. I think, at the very least, in America, it's Disney. It's a Disney-owned publishing house that produces them. Right, right. Uh, no, but what do you think? Uh, what do you think, Azia? Uh seems pretty cool so far yeah yeah i mean there's not a lot else to say most of what we've seen her do is say that she's in favor of killing them which fair enough (laughs) Uh, and then set fire to a giant pile of scorpions so like that's cool yeah yeah no she's just pretty cool so far and i'm not like against that definitely obviously i like a character who is cool Oh, I, speaking... Uh-huh, go on. I feel like Rick has possibly pulled a, like, a, a move that... And I know this is a very loaded thing to say these days. Sure. A move that reminds me of J.K. Rowling. Oh, God. Why did you say that? <laughs> this is in, like... Not in a horrible way. Okay. But just in a, like... You know how, like, um, in the Harry Potter books, it always uh-huh. came off like Harry was gay because... J.K. Rowling would have all these like very, very flattering descriptions of the men in Harry's life. Uh huh. Written through the perspective of this teenage boy. Yeah. I feel like Rick has kind of tried to do something similar here, where like when Zia gets introduced, he switches the perspective to Sadie, so it's not Carter describing her for the first time. Yeah. So that Sadie can say, "Oh yeah, she was very cool," and also, uh, here is a list of features that. Uh, I'm going to call attractive. And it, if from the later chapters, it kind of feels more like it's setting up a, a Carter and Zia thing. 
Yeah. And that it, the the baton was basically passed to Sadie to make it not sound like Carter was being creepy. But as it stands, it just comes off like um, Sadie is gay. I'd be interested to reread these parts because, like, I I I know what you mean, mm-hmm. uh, and I want to just like examine more how that's actually framed in the story. Uh huh. Because I don't think this is going to turn into a, like maybe Sadie is gay. No, I don't. I don't think that's what's what the intention was. I just think it, it it's funny that it reads that way. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm not against it for sure. Uh, I'm I'm pro LGBT. That fucking that old old ass Edward Elric meme. It's like I support oh. gay couples and normal couples. No, it's it's <laughs> it's much better than that. It's <laughs> it's, it's yaoi couples, yuri couples, fuck. normal couples. I see no difference. Love is love. That was it. Fuck. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> oh. Love is love, everyone. Love is love, and uh, Carter doing like a re- a real kind of like a coward move, uh huh. By just like ditching Bast and like not even thinking about going back to help her. I love that bit. Yeah, no, that's just like good. That's just like some good Frank. Like this is what the kids are going through. Yeah, it's like I. Okay, I know I kind of accuse these chapters of being kind of insecure. Uh-huh. But it is kind of a big dick move to have your character, like, do something that, like, they are very clearly ashamed of and is framed by the narrative as kind of shitty, like, this early on. Because it, it gives, like, a very clear point from which Carter can grow, which I'm, I'm very pleased that that groundwork's being laid. Yeah, for all we can say about these books being so... Or this book, not these books... For mm-hmm. all we can say about this book so far being, like, kind of maybe predictable, maybe kind of boring, maybe kind of, like, lazy, or any of these words that we've that we've somewhat used, or, like, for anything ne- negative we can say, I would say that this book is super strong so far in laying the groundwork for really good characters. Yeah, that seems to be, like, that seems to be the thing that's made it over more or less unscathed from the last series. Yeah. Which I'm good because that's like one of the core elements that you need to write a good book. Absolutely. Now, if if all the rest of the elements are there, <laughs> I guess we'll see. Fingers crossed. You know what you need to write a good book? What? Uh, cool descriptions of things. That's actually not true, but uh, there are there are a few of those in here. Oh, any any particularly jumping out at you? Yeah, um, I I really liked when they like fully saw a circuit like in not in the flesh, but I guess in the flesh in the chitin in the roiling chitinous mass. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I really enjoy um, kind of the horror of it. Let me let me find the passage. From a distance, she looked all right, but as she got closer, I saw that circuit's pale skin glistened like an insect shell. Her eyes were beady black. Her long, dark hair was unnaturally thick, as if made from a million bristling bug antennae. And when she opened her mouth, sideways mandibles snapped and retracted outside her regular human teeth. I, I like, I don't know. It's not like anything too fancy. That, but that, that's that's I, one of the most fucked up looking monsters we've had in a while. And I like uh-huh. it. Yeah, no, I dig it for sure. I like, I like it like... I like the idea that, like, these gods can be 
super fucked up, scary, not human. Because the, the, the Greek gods in Percy Jackson were just like humans. Uh-huh. Um, which, which the Egyptian gods are decidedly not. And that does kind of play into some of the stuff we were talking about last week, about like, it's kind of, it, the, the difference between how the gods are presented is kind of weird. But also, the design is very cool and very fucked. So credit where it's due on that. Definitely. Like, I can definitely see, like, the, the kids having nightmares about this thing. I can I can see myself having nightmares about this thing. <laughs> That's very fair. I have a theory. Okay. I have a theory about this series as a whole. You have a lot of theories. This is this is this isn't a narrative theory. This is like this is like more about the production of it. Interesting. Go on. I reckon this started as a screenplay. Oh. Because like. The way that, like, the the recorder gets passed back and forth between Carter and Sadie, that feels, like, a lot more, like, flash-forwards to the present in, like, a movie or a TV show or something. And then we get a bit of narration from them that leads back into a flashback, which has all the detail, which they couldn't really communicate. But you don't really notice because, you know, it's just different footage. Mm. But then you get, like... Obviously, it's kind of fucked up by the fact that, like, they're supposed to be saying all of this. Yeah. So, I don't know. The vibe I get is that this definitely started life as, like, maybe a pitch for a TV show, which was then adapted into a book. So, I see where you're coming from. I don't think that that makes any sense, personally. Okay. Uh, Wow, that was maybe a little bit too hard to come (laughs) out. Personally, I think that theory is fucking dog shit. Um, (laughs) uh, and here's why my top 10 reasons. Um, no, I, I'm, I think like I get where you're coming from, but I also think it's like the way that like the form of the medium is used is very much like is the books that I've read before that were super obviously supposed to be screenplay the first are like completely different than like, not even just like, Oh, it's written in a very, they're usually written in a very specific way. Um, but also, like, um, but more so, in fact, I think, what, to go into the framing device, I mm-hmm. think the framing device wouldn't make sense in a movie. Okay. And I and I think, like, I think that, like, the story as we've seen it so far, as it's constructed, is is not necessarily something that would, like, scan so directly into a, like... Mm, like there, the elements of like the things we know that Rick Riordan likes to dig into with these books, like a, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of intrigue, a uh. little bit of suspense. None of that would really hold in the same way because the way that, um, because the the suspense and intrigue isn't being created through any form of like, it the obfuscation is purely like literary. Right. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. Um, but I, I, I like, what I am curious about is how this is going to look when it is on the, on the screen. Well, that's what, that's what got me thinking about this. Like the, the Netflix adaptation, the doing of the King Chronicles. So I was like, I wonder if this framing device will scan better when it's a TV show. Hmm. I wonder if that's because this started out as a TV show. Right, right. But yeah, no, I definitely see your point. Like if that is what happened, then Rick definitely like heavily workshop this thing oh for sure 
Like it's it's he didn't just like take the the brackets off the stage directions. If that is what happens, I'm reading about the Kane Chronicles right now. Uh huh. Because I, I was like, wait, is it gonna be a movie or is it gonna be a, a it's TV three series? Movies, right? Because that's what I said last time, but I wasn't uh. sure if that was correct. Yes, it's going to be a trilogy. It, it looks uh-huh. according to the Riordan fandom wiki, pr- produced by Mytho Magic Inc. The most reliable source of information on the entire planet. That's right. Um, are these live action? I can't tell. Uh, I I have no idea. Oh, apparently the Kane Chronicles is not f- part of the Fox merger, so uh, the Kane. Cro- that's why it's not being a, like a Disney Plus show. Uh, I guess that makes sense because like the the film rights got sold to Fox for Percy Jackson, but they never would have for the Kane Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I was just reading the Wikipedia article, um, and it's interesting. Uh, this says that. Author Rick Riordan, a former middle school social studies teacher, stated that the idea for the Cain Chronicles came from his realization that the only ancient history subject more popular than ancient Greece was ancient Egypt. Uh, and hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's probably not. I don't. That's probably not exactly what happened, but the way that's phrased does make it sound like there was kind of like dollar signs in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it, it very much so. It's it's like, I, not to be like, oh, this is a cash grab, but we did also say this is a cra- cash grab like an episode or two ago. We did, we did um, directly I, say that. Which also, you know, get get the get the get the dough, get, get that the money. Bread. Yeah. Um. Uh, interestingly, uh, Carter and Sadie Kane, the titular characters, were inspired by two siblings that he taught, uh, as well as the fact that ancient Egypt was a multicultural society. Uh, he believes putting Egypt back into the realm of African history is important. Uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. You know that. Uh, I mean, it, it makes sense that Rick Riordan frequently bases characters off of students that he had because, like, that is probably his like largest experience with children. Yeah, that makes sense. I also don't know how good of a job this book is doing at putting Egypt back into the realm of African history. We do mainly seem to be in the places where all the shit was stolen from Africa and taken away to. <laughs> yeah, I. Although actually, like, um, I'm I'm gonna re- reveal some forbidden knowledge here. Oh. I fucked up and read an extra chapter again. Okay. Uh, the the place the portal takes them uh, is Africa. Oh, interesting. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, exciting. Yeah, no, I so far what we've definitely gotten is a look at the the like ancient Egypt as not prop. But like pop cultural perception. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm definitely interested to see where it goes from here. I hope it I hope I hope for good things. Yeah, same. Why were the uh why were the the was it was it just like a joke? Why were the people at the museum French? I guess just like f- foreign tourists are inherently funny. I I guess so. I don't know. There's so many weird things around the museum in these chapters. Like, you know what I did actually learn that was interesting is that, like, I was like, oh, this obelisk is, like, identical to the one in London. Why is that? And then apparently I was like, well, what's the name of this obelisk? And it's also called Cleopatra's Needle. Huh. Uh, So apparently it's just, like, all the same, like, building. Like, constructed, like, the same way. So there was just like two of them, and they got nicked and taken to different places. 
I think three of them apparently. Also, I'd like I'd like to lay out my pitch. Okay. I think the French tourists should have been in the British Museum. And I think okay. that Sadie should have beaten them up to like reenact the events through which the Rosetta Stone <laughs> ended up in the British Museum. <laughs> Like there were some tourists, like uh, like trying to steal it or something, <laughs> and she's like, "No, I will take it." <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, I was wrong. There, there. It's a pair of e- of obelisks. Uh, they they have no connection to Cleopatra, um, and we're already a thousand. Oh, so I I said that these were built. Uh, these were re-erected. They were already a thousand years old when Cleopatra was alive. Oh, so they just named them that because it sounded cool. Yeah. Well, n- yeah, but like they already existed, and then they were like, "Okay, let's take these obelisks somewhere else." Which. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um... Oh, speaking of Cleopatra's needle, actually, there's something that we haven't addressed, which is a, I think a fairly major plot point. Oh. Yeah, the very heavy implication that like the that Julius brought Bast into the mortal world at Cleopatra's Needle in London and that was what whatever got his wife killed. Right. Like Bast does not confirm or deny, but like it's fairly obvious from like everything else surrounding it. I guess speaking of intrigue, I'm like so fascinated by what this whole like background event is. Yeah, what the fuck? Because, like, so what we know so far is that they were at Cleopatra's Needle, it was Julius, it was Ruby, and that... Wait, is her name Ruby? Uh, I, I think know. so. It, it doesn't matter. Ruby, Ruby, or I'll, I'll say Ruby, maybe it was Rose, but I think, I think it's Ruby. Julius and Ruby were at Cleopatra's Needle trying to summon Bast, uh, which you're not supposed to summon the gods, uh-huh. um, but... They were doing it anyway, which Julius had done before also, maybe? Yeah, it's Ruby. Yeah. Did you look that up? Yeah. Jane. Well, I I just <laughs> I just looked at the title of her wiki entry and then closed the tab. Okay. But yeah, I so why did they try to summon Bast? Why were they summoning gods in the first place? What like split them from the rest of the house of life? Um why did she die? Yeah. Like, what's. I'm fascinated by this whole mystery. And I, I guess also related to that is I really like the idea that, like, Bast has a completely different agenda to the magicians. Uh huh. Like, she gets the kids and is immediately like, right, we need to cut and run and get away from all of the magicians, including your uncle, and start summoning more gods. Yeah. Like that that feels nefarious to me. No, it it like everything I don't know. Like that feels super nefarious and also is like also is like, well maybe what if something the gods isn't so bad? What if the magicians are super nefarious? Yeah, There's because like a, she she accuses a magician of being the person who sabotaged the house of defenses. Yeah, she has no love for magicians. Which certainly. I guess I guess also means that we might be getting what we were hoping for last episode. Mm-hmm. Where we were like, set seems like Chronos 2.0, but even like, but like more boring. Uh, so let's hope that we have like maybe some magicians who they have like personal beef with. And that seems to be the case. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope that continues because 
I don't know. Like like you said, set not super interesting so far. I I I would dig just like a more grounded like the whole conflict does not have to be like the world is going to explode. Yeah, definitely. And uh Well you sorry, know. Western civilization, quote unquote, will explode again. Oh, right, right, yeah. <laughs> well, ju- this time it's just the United States that will explode. Uh-huh. Which, as we know, in, uh, the, like, the Rick Riordan, like, ideology uh, is Western <laughs> civilization. Uh, exactly. Which is also ancient Egypt. Um, but also African history. Also African history. Ah, oh, God. This book gives me a headache. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Just, like, a normal headache. It's it's very messy in a way that there is like there's there's layers of shit here. You know what I I can say though. Uh huh. I was not having as much fun talking about the Sea of Monsters as I was talking about this. Yeah, I think this is kind of what I was hoping Sea of Monsters would be when it uh-huh. started taking a turn for the worse. Yeah. Where it's like, it's not great, but like a lot of a lot of shit is being thrown at the wall. And we can go through it and see what's sticking. There's a lot of similarities here because, like, Sea of Monsters was the second, the second uh, Percy Jackson book. Yeah. This is the second kid series he's trying to write. Uh, I guess apart from Heroes of Olympus, which had already come out before this. <laughs> um, well, yeah, but partially. Heroes of Olympus was like, like that's a continuation of Percy Jackson. Like yeah, it's propped up by a lot of the pre-existing characters of mythology. Yeah, like they're both in that similar position of like this is a follow-up, and it's kind of going to be defined as being a follow-up. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, there's there's a lot of there there's some fraughtness there. Yeah, I think that's definitely an interesting way to look at it. Uh, but Sea of Monsters, I was like, some I wasn't dreading recording the episodes, but I do remember <laughs> being like, what the fuck are we even going to talk about? This sucks. Yeah, and, I, I think I remember even saying in one of the episodes was that I was worried that we weren't doing like any jokes and the show wasn't funny because it was just miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess we haven't joked much this episode, but I'm having fun. Yeah, no, I, I wrote down one thing to say, but I know you'll cut it out if I say it, so. Please say it. Uh, Julius killing his wife to get like a weird cat girl in a leopard print bodysuit sounds like a setup to like the weirdest anti-arthic ever. <laughs> oh god, you said that thinking I would cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Thank you for listening, everyone. I've been caught in 4K. Wait. Uh huh. Wait, we forgot. We haven't done it for like three episodes in a row. We need to bring it back. Okay. Segment. Okay. Which, okay. Which King Chronicles uh, character is not cis at? We're just going to do the same segment? Do you, do you have an idea for a different segment? No. Okay, <laughs> let's just do the same segment. Um, which King Chronicles character is not cis at? Uh, my nominee for this episode is Sadie. That's fair. She's... We already talked about this. We, you know yeah. why. She's gay. Yeah, the, the framing certainly makes it come off that way, intentionally or no. She has... I, I've already said that she has red hair and pronouns. <laughs> she is eating the pronoun burger. God, same. 
Uh, fuck. That was the only, like... <laughs> hmm. The problem is these chapters are mostly action scenes. Uh, you know what? The, the, the fucking, the coffin dance bronze dudes. Uh, they're a polycule, <laughs> they're all dating. GNCAF. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like we have more characters you could have said, but I guess we can save them for later. I wait. No, I want to hit. I want to hit the suggestion now. How, how badly did I just fuck up? Oh, I don't know. I was gonna like. I don't know. We could probably find something for like Zia or Bast or even fucking Circuit. I was considering just saying that I shit Bast and Circuit now. That's fun. Yeah. I don't hate that. But also, bugs gross. One thing I actually really want to th- talk about really fast is like I oh. think it's so fascinating that like. I don't know what aspects of gods we choose to focus on. Because, like, Circuit is not just the god of Scorpi- goddess of scorpions. She's also the goddess of, like, fertility, nature, animals, medicine, magic, healing venomous stings and bites. Huh. But, like, she is also, like, a scorpion deity. Um, like, the, the, the description in this chapter is, like, she is literally having a giant scorpion on top of her head, and also, if you look at art of her, she has a giant scorpion on top of her head. I thought she was, like, just, like, a person made of scorpions. No, there's also, like, a literal thing that's, like, her, I thought she was wearing a hat, but it was a scorpion. (laughs) You can wear a scorpion as a hat. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. Unless the scorpion is a trained professional. That's right. Um, that's interesting because, like, like said, like, Circuit was often said, according to Wikipedia, um, <laughs> like, like, because of, like, oh, she, you know, protects from venom and snake bites and stuff. The giant fucking snake, the great snake demon of evil, the one who eats the world, Apep, um, it was said that she would somewhat protect from him. So I think that's like I don't know. This is another thing. It's like interesting. I wonder, like, is she, why? Like, what? What are the choices being made here? Why is why is Circuit evil? It definitely seems like the choice being made with a lot of these gods is to like pick one aspect of them, uh-huh. like the one that seems like it'll be the most interesting or like the easiest to put in the story, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then go ride or die on that, because like Bast is okay. I have no real idea about this, but I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and say that she's not just the god of cats. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's true. Actually, I'm going to fact check that. because No, I be l- shit. no, you're right, you're right. Okay. But yeah, so like what I guess focused on there is, okay, this will be like the most memorable like iconography, I guess, for the character. Uh-huh. It's like the cat one, and then we have the scorpion one, the evil one, the death one, etc., Right, because, like, the thing the thing with these gods isn't just the, like... And because you're right, like, as a writer, making the concerted choice to, like, create specific, like, distinguishing iconography for these characters is important. But also, if you look up, like, what was the art that was be- that they were making of their gods? Circuit has a scorpion on top of her head. Bast was a cat. Did Bast... I was gonna say, did Bast have the leopard print bodysuit, or is that... <laughs> No, she was just a, a a lady with the head of a cat, but like a a very like detailed cat in many ways. Um, but was also the goddess of protection, perfume slash ointments, fertility, pregnancy, children, music, the arts, and warfare. 
I guess uh, I guess you could ship Circa and Bass because they bond over the fact that they're both like the gods of fertility. I guess. Yeah, I have to assume that a lot of gods and goddesses are the like fertility deities in Egypt. Listen, you need someone to pray to during that process. Yeah, you gotta have it. Every single god has a breeding kink. I don't know why you said that specifically. <laughs> because if you don't cut out the thing I said earlier, I can't possibly like hit rock bottom harder. <laughs> I'm liberated. You can I can find say whatever us. I want and it's not worse. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Unwise Girls. <laughs> there we've got our links to our show, our Discord server, our Gmail, our Patreon, patreon.com slash unwisegirls. You can support us there. Um, for $1 a month, you get a special role in our Discord as a camp counselor. We have to determine to change these soon. Oh, shit, um, yeah, we do. Uh, for... We'll just change them back for Heroes of Olympus, though. <laughs> yeah, but that's in, like, six months or whatever. That's true. Uh, for $3 a month, you get a special role in our Discord server as Friend of Dionysus, and also, uh, all of our bonus content. We talk about things like uh, Homestuck and if I've played Delta in Chapter Two. And, what's oh, that? Oh, yeah, no, that oh, that is like our ongoing story arc at the minute. One yeah, day, Jacqueline will remember to sit down and play Delta in Chapter Two. I haven't yet. Wait, we have to buy the bonus episodes to learn that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to listen to me whinge about Doctor Who. <laughs> You get to listen to Jane talk about all her favorite Warhammer figures. <laughs> you, you get to hear Jane talk about all her favorite NTR fix. Uh, uh, that's I, like I, not... I think you'll find, uh, as we discussed, uh, that is Percy Jackson and the Olympians. I'm... Okay. Maybe that's the step where I cut it out. Listen, you put this... You said this, and it ended up in a highlight on YouTube. I, I said what? <laughs> Oh, oh, I, I did, didn't I? I forgot. You did. I'm the one who said that. <laughs> you bear I, as much responsibility for this bullshit as I do. I forget Gabe Ugliano exists. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You sent me a picture of a guy from King of the Hills who used to represent him. It was really funny and it smart. Was. It was Bill is his name. I've never watched King of the Hill. I've derailed this. I'm sorry. $5 a month, you get the special role of Aphrodite's Chosen, all of our bonus content, and also a shout-out at the end of episodes. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Mercy, Veronica, Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye. Bye.